such a beautiful time, hey, to just marinate in the presence of God. Um, I was up in Namibia on that motorbike outreach a couple of weeks ago. I didn't ride a motorbike, though. I drove the car. I was the clever guy. Um, and um, two and a half weeks, I was alone in the car. We didn't drive every day, but most days. I couldn't understand when I came back, why didn't I want to not come back? I mean, I wanted to come back because I wanted to get back to my family and church. Something, there was something lingering from Namibia, and it was this. There was no signal from town to town. So your, your phone cannot beep at you. You can't phone anyone. You can't WhatsApp anyone. You can't, I mean, you can, and the message will wait to go, but you're not distracted by it. So the first few days I listened to preachers and worship music, and then for the next two weeks I didn't. just left the, the, the radio off. I spent all day in the presence of God. And it wasn't a super holy moment of, like, you know, all dressed like a Levite priest and, you know, anointing. And it wasn't that. It was just the presence of God. Because our phones are wonderful tools, but they're distractions. I want to encourage you, if you want to spend time in the presence of God, turn your phone off. You know, I can hear my phone go, if I'm in the bedroom and it's in the kitchen. <laughs> like, you're so tuned into that phone. Gotta. And so two weeks later, and, I, and that's actually when I came back, I was like, I don't want to come back. Because I enjoy God's presence every day, alone. So, just, that's on a side note. Um, so, my name is Tony. I lead the Woodstock Congregation. I am so privileged to have my wife, my beautiful wife, Lindsay, and two of our three kids. Nick, so lucky to have you here. He's third year of varsity. Our middle daughter is working in the coffee shop in Sunningdale, and she's fellowshipping there. Nick's bunking from there. He's here today. And our lot Lamaki is Ava sitting on the, the floor. So, so we joined Josh Jen in 2005. There was one congregation... One meeting every Sunday, Andrew preached, and I thought we were set. I had no idea that there would be 46 congregations years later, and 412 churches and all these things. That So we've watched this church grow as God's done a work. And it's been an incredible journey and privilege to be part of it. So I came on to part-time eldership in 2010, and uh, I came on to full-time about nearly two years ago now. So um, that's my very brief story. Um, and so I wrestled coming to you guys. I have to say I got summonsed. I'm joking. Um, I could come and share an aspect of God or something wonderful out of the Bible or a character or something, you know, something, a teaching. And then I was reminded a couple of weeks ago that we overcome the enemy, through the blood of the Lamb and the power of our testimony, the word of our testimony. And so this morning, it's not about me, but I want to share a testimony with you because it's changed me and I'm not special. And if it made an impact or a difference in my life, it can do the same for you. So please don't listen like it's a nice story. Let's go home. I'm asking you to listen to what I'm saying as I share and mirror it. How does this apply to you? Can it apply to you? Because if God can do a work in me, 
He can do a work in you. And if I've been an elder for 13 years, I should be perfect, right? Like, what kind of work should God still be doing? I mean, you should have arrived. Well, that's the grace of God, is that we actually never arrive. But if you don't allow him to keep doing a work in you, he won't. And I've realized more and more how much more I need God, even as an elder, because he's continuing to work. He doesn't stop. And so, um, so here's my story. Yes, my wife wants to share something. She's not feeling well. So I can't shake this feeling. I just need to speak it now quickly. So um, just before that prophetic word um, or that, that tongue came, um, I really felt like there were people here that um, have, have not heard God's voice um, in some time. And I just want to pray this morning that as Tony shares, that you will hear God's voice through his testimony for your life today. Um, I just the, the spirit is very strong this morning, and um, the word about being in a like you, you could have been in a desert. He didn't. It's, I don't think it's coincidence that he mentioned Namibia. It's a desert, and I do sense that some of you have been in a, in a desert from hearing God's voice. So, Lord, this morning, won't you just um, just as we come before you, and we hear of Tony's testimony, Lord, I just pray that your voice resounds in people's hearts this morning. Um, as yeah, as uh, you speak gently to us, um, for those that have not heard your voice and that it's been quiet and it's been silence and they've been asking to hear you, Lord, won't you just open their ears and their hearts to hear this message of his testimony? Um, Father, won't you just let it penetrate into their souls, Lord, that they will not know, uh, sorry, that they will know that they are not alone, Lord, that you're watching and you care for them um, and the struggles that they face are not something that you are oblivious to, Lord. Um, but you know every single hair on their head. And today you will speak to their hearts. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Thanks, babe. Um, so John 10.10 John 10 says, uh, I want to put it up, Karim. And I know you all know the scripture, but I want to start there. That the thief, or the enemy, or the devil, or the deceiver, he comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus said, I came that you may have life, and you may have it abundantly. And I don't think the devil waits until we're fighting fit before he takes us on. You know, a guy that's going to get into the boxing ring prepares himself the boxing ring. Think Rocky, think uh, Mike Tyson, think uh, Muhammad Ali. These guys spend years running, training their bodies, practicing. They do a whole lot of sparring in the ring where they get bloody noses and beaten, and, and, but it's all practice, a preparation, so that when they get into the ring, they are ready to take on the guy that they're fighting, and they're as best ready as possible. I don't think the devil waits for us to get there before he bloodies our noses, before he puts a shackle on us. Because that's really the crux of what I want to share today. That's the crux of my testimony. I think he hits us when we're very young, because we're vulnerable, and we're very easily susceptible to bondage, to a shackle, to handcuffs, to something that can upset us, because that's what he did to me. 
sadly. And so, to give you a perspective, um, as an adult, most of my adult life, I couldn't understand something about myself. And we all, as we grow, we look at our character and we measure ourselves. How are we doing? How am I doing in the kingdom? We have this wonderful ability to come to church and put on this Christian face. You know, we've just fought with our spouse in the car, but we come to church and, yeah, everything's lacquer. And my brother, bless you and love you and life is good. And then we go home and we kick the dog and, and so forth and so forth. And so we all, we all somewhere somehow wrestling with our character. There's character flaws and so forth in us. And um, my particular character flaw was this, or one of them. For the best part of my adult life, I would find I'd respond in a situation that was unfair or if I felt I was being taken advantage of or someone around me was being taken advantage of, I would respond angrily. You think, well, that's normal. Well, my problem was that my response would usually be much worse than it needed to be because there's a fair way to respond to people if they've done you wrong. But my response was severe. And so I'm Italian, which is not a good thing because Italians are emotional. You know, they flick the pasta around and uh, mamma mia and all that sort of thing. So that really doesn't help. Um, but all my life, and I'm talking the last 30 years, I've wrestled with this. Why? Why do I respond first of all so quickly? Why do I respond so badly? Why do I respond so vehemently? Probably the phrase that's come out of my mouth the most to my wife is, I'm sorry. And even to my kids, when they were much younger, and now, but when they were young, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have responded like that. I shouldn't have, I could never understand. And one of the gifts of the Spirit is supposed to be, or two of the gifts, supposed to be self-control <laughs> and patience. So I think I'm a, uh, supposed to be a born-again Christian, flowing in these wonderful gifts of the Spirit, uh, uh, fruit of the Spirit, but I'm not. Why? Why does a perfect storm occur and I respond like that and then I have to go back and apologize? I was a builder for 20 years. Oh man, how many times I lost it with guys on site and then I'd have to go find them the next day as the Holy Spirit convicted me and I'd have to go. I'm, I'm sorry. <coughs> you know, you didn't do what you better. <coughs> I'm sorry. I'm sure some of you can relate to that. And so I've done a few self-help courses. I've watched a few videos. I've read a few books. Whatever. Didn't change. And so then last year, course comes up. Another course. How many of you respond like I do sometimes? We're going to be doing a training course of six weeks. Didn't we do one last year? Didn't we another one? Another teaching? Another? Come on. Because I know I do. So this course comes up at the end of last year called self, self-care. <sighs> okay. You can go to that. It's only two nights. Wednesday, Wednesday. I can do that. That's not too much of a stretch, right? Bad attitude. Okay. So that's my first mistake. So I go the first night. I tell you what, if Liz and Andrew East are going to do a course, you want to get there. 
If Mac and Nordine do a course, you want to get there. Throw your bad attitude away, sign up, and get there. But I went in with a typical bad attitude another night, given up for a course. And I can't say that there was a eureka moment that evening. There wasn't this explosion, this big epiphany. But something that she said that night started to scratch. And I came home that night and I lay awake for hours. And the next morning I woke up early and I was, and God slowly, in his grace and his mercy, started to show me stuff. But it wasn't stuff that I didn't know about my life. What he did was he started to link things together. And that was the epiphany then for me. My word, I've not seen this before. Events that I'm well aware of, but he joined them. And he joined the dots and he started to show me. And the story is this. We lived in Namibia in the 70s when I was yay young. That's how old I am. Okay, I'm 56. I'm very old. And um, went to primary school in Vintuk. And I must have been five or six years old. And my father, I grew up in a Catholic home. My father was a strict disciplinarian. Kids are seen and not heard. Bedtime is this time. No breaking the rules. He disciplined us, and I thank him for it. I, I know that I'm a result of his hard work. Okay? He was a single breadwinner. My mother never worked. And I must have been, as I said, five or six years old. Started at primary school, and sports started, and I needed a pair of soccer boots. So I went to my mom, and I said, Mom, can I get some soccer boots? And we sat down at the dinner table that night, and my mother asked my father for some boots. My father lost it with her. And I don't remember what he said. I don't remember why he got angry, but he got very, very angry. Maybe the money wasn't available. Maybe it was a stretch too far. I, who knows? I was young, so my parents were young. I just remember sitting at the table wanting to disappear like this. And in that moment, I embraced a lie. I made an oath. I took a stand. I was never going to let my mother endure that kind of a beating. It wasn't a physical beating. My father was never abusive. But he beat her at the table, verbally. And I made a decision in that moment as a six-year-old. I never let that happen again. And what I was actually doing was, I was silencing myself. I made a promise and an oath never to put her in that position. And as I started to grow older, I never wanted to put myself in that position. I never wanted anyone to shout at me. I never wanted to do anything wrong. I never wanted to be the one that was found out to have failed. And I allowed the enemy to take hold of me, create a stronghold over me. And you might say to yourself, well, you're only six, what do you know? You're right, what do you know? You don't, okay? He's not going to wait till you're able. He's going to start as soon as he can. And I've sat through many counseling sessions. Professionals will always try and take the person being counseled back. Tell me about your childhood. Tell me about your parents. Tell me about your school. Why? that's where the devil is prowling around to look to steal kill and destroy and he did it with me 
And so through my childhood, and I'm not going to give you many examples, but this was catalysted into something when I went to the army. I was the last of the two-year forced intake, and I did officer's course. So three months basics and nine months of pretty much hell. The problem with the army is it doesn't matter how good you are. You're only as good as the weakest link. And in every group, there's somebody who doesn't shave, who doesn't polish his boots, who doesn't get up early enough, who doesn't make a bed well enough, who doesn't. And you pay for his mistakes. So you go through nine months. I was, I was the most parat. Everything of mine was the best. I got the best posting the following year, etc. But I paid the price for everybody else that did something wrong. And it built into me an anger that when I went to my new unit the following year, I had a Lance Corporal Secretary he said to me after a month, he said, Lieutenant, is there anyone here you haven't fought with? I laughed. And then I thought about it. And he was right. You see, because my voice had been stolen, I'd given it over. I'd shut myself up. Where there was indignation, in other words, where I was mistreated, where I felt I was being taken advantage of, where I felt I was being treated poorly or I wasn't being treated fairly, I rose up and I fought back in an angry way. Because I was kept quiet, I now had a way to express myself. See, if you did me wrong, I had every right to stand up and let you know all about it. Can anyone relate to that? That was the army. I was 23 years old. And that just carried on for the next 30 years. I lived under this stranglehold of anger and bitter righteousness, fighting everybody else's battles, fighting against everybody that's done something wrong or even perceived to have done something wrong, but not believing that I had a voice to speak out fairly because I'd given myself to that as a kid. And so last year, this course, God showed me. Tony, look at your life. There and there and there and there. And that's where it started. That was the thorn. Like a wound that won't heal. Because there's a thorn deep inside and you keep dressing the wound and you keep changing the dressing and you keep hoping that it's going to get better. But it doesn't until you've pulled the thorn that you don't even know that it's there. But I had to go back to understand that. My wife, in her wisdom, came to me after I shared this. After I mean, I went through two days of like, oh my word, that's why. That makes sense. I'd forgiven my father for that episode many, many years ago. I forgave him again. I had to repent. Lord, I know it's not my fault, but I'm sorry I allowed that to happen. Because look how it's messed up 49 years of my life. It has. And a thorn that's produced. It says the Bible talks about a root of a root of bitterness that can grow up and call all cause all kinds of evil. That's what that was. And recognizing and understanding that finally has brought me to understand my life can be different. My wife said to me, isn't it unusual that God in his grace had to first give you a congregation for a year? 
to show you. You have a voice. And this congregation, the guys that are here, and I speak about you and I speak about the many others in many. We are 50 or 60. What a beautiful bunch of people that have shifted with us, loved with us. I didn't have to shout. I could just speak. And they listen. And they speak and I listen. But God had to give me that platform first and then reveal to me. But Tony, this is where it started. That scripture, John 10.10, 10, the, the devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus says, I come to give you life. And life abundantly. Jesus wants to bring us life. And I want to ask you today, What are you carrying from the past? Where have you given the devil a foothold? Maybe you were six, maybe you were 16, maybe you were 26. You see, foothold can look like many things, can look like unforgiveness. Can look like this that I went through. Not knowing as a child, an innocent child doing what I did. But it perpetuated it. Um, manifested throughout my life, brought me misery and brought people around me misery. My wife and kids will attest to that easily. And am I healed now? No. <laughs> I think there's still a big gaping wound in here. But no more torment. And I can see it so clearly now as I interact with my family, as I interact. And I can catch myself out, hopefully, in time. Will God take this away from me? I don't know. Paul said I asked him to remove the thorn three times and he didn't. Why? Because God's grace is sufficient. But the clarity of understanding brings breakthrough. So I want to ask you today, where are you at? You know, I shared this message in Namibia. Somebody came up to me and said, Tony, thank you for your message. I'm the father to my family that your father was to you. And he stood there in tears, apologizing to his wife and his kids sitting in the auditorium. Where do you fit into the spectrum? God doesn't want to leave you the same, as uh, Ansh rightly said. If you think you've arrived, you haven't. I thought I'd arrived when I became an older. Oh, what did I know? And 13 years later, I realized, what less do I know as God does his work? So let's stand. Father God, this morning is not about me. But Lord, you, you set me up, Lord, as a testament to what you can do, Lord. What you've done. And Lord, as I stand here, I still, I still declare I've not arrived. You're doing a work in me, Lord. And it's not to break us, Lord. It's to bring us more like you, Lord. It's to wash away the old, Lord. This terrible big word called sanctification, which is supposed to be doing away with the old and washing it away and bringing us into more of you, Lord. Sometimes it's painful, Lord. But, Lord, that's because you want us to reflect you, Lord. I had a picture during worship this morning of a mirror. How can a mirror reflect you when it's dirty? 
How, does, how can you see yourself in a mirror when there's mud or dirt or dust on it, Lord? We have to wipe the mirror clean so it can be a clean reflection of what it needs to show, Lord. I pray today that there might be some amongst us, Lord, who don't reflect you well. Who sense this morning, I don't reflect you well, Lord. There's things in my character, there's things in my life, Lord, I know. I know. No one else knows, but I know. In that place, or there at work, or there... Lord, I know that I don't reflect you well. I know that that part of the mirror is dirty. It reflects a part of me and not a part of you. Maybe that's you this morning. Maybe that's you this morning. Maybe you don't even have to physically raise your hand, but maybe you, you, you lift your voice quietly and say, Lord, yes, that's me. Lord, show me in my life where I've allowed the devil in. Show, show me where I've given the enemy a foothold. Where I've allowed him to put a shackle around me, Lord. Where I've allowed him to bring a wound. And I can't forgive. It's too hard. But today, Lord, I say, Lord, help me to forgive. As the father who brought his son and said, can you heal him? And Jesus said, do you believe? He said, yes, I believe, but help me in my unbelief. Help me in my inability, Lord, to bring this to you, Lord, as hard as it is, Lord. Would you free me from it? Give me the clarity to understand. Open my eyes to see how you see. Just bring it to him. And this is not a challenge, but if you want people to pray with you, put up your hand. Is there anyone who wants to put up their hand? And would ask. If you see hands go up around you, I see some hands going up. Just go and gather around. Step out of your comfort zone and go and gather and pray with them. Lord, we can't do this on our own strength, Lord. And Lord, you are so gracious and kind, Lord. And 1 Corinthians 13 talks about love is patient and love is kind. Lord, I'm reminded that's who you are, Lord. God, you are patient and you are kind. You are slow to anger and abounding in love, Lord. You don't bring, you don't bring damnation, Lord. You bring love and repentance, Lord, and reconciliation. And you bring a, a, a revival to our souls, Lord. I pray, Lord, that you would do that, Lord, this morning for those that are struggling, Lord. Lord Jesus, we cannot do this on our strength. We need your Holy Spirit. Would you come and move amongst us? Shift us and shift our hearts, Lord. Reveal and show to us, Lord, as you've done with me, Lord, by your grace. Change us, Lord. In Jesus' name, come, Lord.